Counselor Accents Podcast. Two school counselors who love their jobs. Oh, and they happen to have Southern accents too. Bless their hearts. I'm Laura Rankhorn. And I am Kim Crumbly. And together we are Counselor Accents. Laura, super excited to have a dear friend on today. Yes, we have Reagan Schulte with us. And she, we found her, she is a participant in our course, The First 20 Days. And just through talking to her, we got to hear a little bit about her story. And I am not gonna take up any more time doing the introduction. I'm gonna hand it over to you, Reagan, and I'm gonna let you tell everyone a little bit about yourself and then we will get going. Okay, so I'm Reagan Schulte and I have been a counselor now for 11 years at the school I am at. And I was a kid who desperately needed a counselor growing up. Although I probably was not one that you would have known needed a counselor. Um, I come from a lot of trauma and my trauma started when I was six years old, almost seven. I was a kindergartner and um, my my father murdered my mother. Um, I have a younger sister who's three years younger than me and we were not home at the time but I always felt very guilty because I was kind of a brat. <laughs> not gonna lie, I was kind of a brat and I knew if I threw a fit and I threw a fit long enough then my mom would give me what I wanted most of the time and that night I actually threw a fit. Um, I didn't want to go to a school play that she had arranged for my sister and I to go to with a friend and I threw a fit, but I didn't throw a fit long enough. I gave up. And I felt I always felt guilty about that, that I could have maybe saved her. Um, so before that, I was a very normal, outgoing, loud, obnoxious kid. I grew up on an Air Force base. Um, after my mom died, I was a very different child. I was very reserved, very quiet. Um, I didn't trust people. So I truthfully did not know that my dad killed my mom. Uh, he put on a very good show and was not arrested right away. Um, we, after he, he, he killed my mom in the basement of our home, our family home on the Air Force Base. And when we, uh, after she died and we had the funeral and visitation and all that in Iowa, um, I lived in Missouri at the time in Iowa, where my family's from, we went back home and lived in our home. So it, it, it was it was very weird because I only knew what I was told at the time. And um, I was told that, you know, my mom died and that's all I knew. Uh, looking back when we lived in Iowa for a little while during my mom's services, my dad lived with my mom's family. So during all of this, um, my dad lived with her family and we lived with her family during the, the funeral and visitation and that while we were back home in Iowa and he was the one that killed her. And they had no so, idea. No, no, they had no idea. None. I mean, there were marital problems. She, my mom was very good at hiding that from my sister and I. Um, you know, they, uh, there was emotional abuse, physical abuse, and, um, you know, mental abuse for sure. Um, she was at a place where they had almost been married 10 years, and she was sticking around until June. Um, until their 10 year anniversary so she could move back home and get some of his pension from the military to help raise my sister and I. Um, he killed her May 10th. So it was a month from that 10 year anniversary. Um, I, to this day, I mean, he truly, he will tell you he didn't do it. It wasn't him. 
Um, he denies it. And so we'll never know the full story of what happened. Um, and I don't, I don't need to at this point in my life. There was a time when I absolutely did need to, but he, he didn't do it. And he, and truly, not that I could diagnose, but if I could, he would be a narcissist. <laughs> okay. Like he's, he's the true, like he, you would never know. He could be your best friend and you would never know the real story. Um, he's very good at convincing you to believe what he wants you to believe. Um, but after we moved, we went back to the, the Air Force Base and lived on the base in our home. His mother, my paternal grandmother, came and lived with us. And that's when a lot of things were weird. Um, like right afterwards, my dad had a girlfriend. And right after my mom died, she was driving my mom's new car. She was wearing my mom's clothes. She was taking my sister and I out with her son. And I mean, we became her problem. So before that, I, I would have told you that their marriage was perfect and wonderful and just fine. But looking back, it, it wasn't. I mean, he, he only had the time to do things with us when it was convenient for him. And my mom raised us. I mean, she worked a full-time job and was trying to put herself back in college. And, and her money was what took care of the family. His money was his money. And so there were a lot of issues, but my mom was very good at hiding it, which was a good thing but it also hurt us because we didn't know there were struggles too. And I have had the best of the best and the worst of the worst. So my mom's family are phenomenal. They, that's who I refer to as my family. My dad's family, with the exception of two family members, I have nothing to do with at all. And I never will. Um, I used to have to because after my mom died, um, when his mother moved onto the base, they went through my mom's stuff and sold what they could um, and what they didn't want or what they couldn't get money for, they um, fought for in a custody battle. So what was left and my, my mom's family wanted, they fought for. So we ended up having to sell all of our, item, our, our home, like everything that was in our home in auction. So I remember going through and we had to buy back our toys that we wanted. Oh. And so, I mean, it was, it's, it's a lot. Like, looking back, I can't believe the things that happened. But it was my life then. And there was a lot of, well, you know, like when my dad was arrested, they made a mistake. They're blaming your dad because so-and-so so -and -so could have done it, but, but they're not looking at them. It was everybody else's fault. I mean, it was, it's kind of the stereotypical, like when you walk into prison, nobody's, in, nobody's guilty. Everyone's innocent. Like, that is very much was my childhood. And so um, my dad was actually sentenced to second degree murder. They couldn't necessarily prove first degree murder, but second degree murder. And um, look, when I've read some of the court documents, I wasn't at court for, for that because I was very little. But um, looking back, he used my sister and I as an alibi. And he wasn't, he used me as an alibi and he wasn't there. Like it, it's a lie. And so, um, it, he's good at what he does. He's very good when he wants to manipulate or get out of something. Um, so I spent my entire childhood visiting a prison every other weekend. Um, trying to think. My dad first was, when he was sentenced and put in prison, he was at Fort Leavenworth, Kansas. So I spent every other weekend at Fort Leavenworth, which is not conducive for any child to be. I mean, not conducive at all. 
And then after that, he moved to um, Pekin, Illinois. And then from then it was Springfield, Missouri. So at that time, driving down there was, when we'd go visit the prisons, what ended up happening is that both of my grandparents fought for custody. And thank goodness we were in Missouri because if we had been in Iowa, they probably would have granted custody to my dad's family because he was a living parent for us. So I, I praise God every day for that because it, it would not have been a good situation. I would not be here right now doing what I do if I had been placed in that family. I was a paycheck to them. So they fought for custody and um, by the grace of God, the the judge granted custody to my maternal grandparents, who I call my grandparents. And then my dad's family got visitation every other week, every other weekend, excuse me, and then two months out of the summer. <clears throat> so before the, the trial, we were spending like three, three days a week or every, every day of the weekend in the prison. So I would get out of school on Friday, we would drive to Fort Leavenworth, and then we would get there late, late at night we would stay either in a hotel or eventually they got an apartment and my sister and I would, she's three years younger than me. So I mean, we were little, so we would get up first thing in the morning and be the first ones at the prison and we'd get processed in and we would be there as soon as the prison opened and we had to leave like visitation. You had to leave for an hour for lunch. So we'd stay until, I don't know, probably noon. We'd leave for lunch, come back, and then we'd be in the prison until four or five at night whenever visitation was over. And then on Sunday, we would get up and we'd just go back to the apartment and do nothing. And so Sunday we'd get up, do the same thing. And then at lunchtime we would leave and drive the seven or eight hours, whatever it was back to home. And then Monday morning I'd get up and go to school. <laughs> wow. So it was a lot. That was a lot. Imagine. I but cannot imagine. This <laughs> so it, it uh, just the system that would force your yeah or your grandparents hand to put the burden on the child mm -hmm. to make an adult feel better yes and, and like i said so much of your childhood by the grace of god the judge that we had when he tried to talk to me about where it was, I, w I had a guardian at litem, you know, where it was that I would like to live. I was put in the middle so much, not by my mom's family, but by my dad's family. And it was constant, like, your mom killed herself. You, I mean, the stories, I can't even imagine, like, I can't even go through all the stories of why my dad was innocent and why these people were doing this to them and that my grandparents hated my sister and I, and they just wanted us because they were mad at them. It's, it's unfathomable. So I wouldn't speak to the judge. Like he pulled out every trick and tip he could, and I wouldn't talk. <laughs> I was stubborn. <laughs> but I, I, didn't, I didn't want it to be my fault that I ended up somewhere one way or another. I wasn't going to choose. And, and he said that was the deciding factor for them because I had my mom's parents are they're very godly they are very loving people and their lawyer had advised them like you're it's gonna get dirty and it's gonna get ugly and you're gonna have to fight and they chose not to do that they they weren't gonna do that and my dad's family were brutal i mean at one point they accused my my grandpa of and and my uncles my mom was the youngest and she had two older brothers but they, they accused them of molesting her. I mean, like anything, anything they could do to try to win this. 
and there was no there were no boundaries and so um the judge granted custody to my maternal grandparents and said that we could visit the prison for one visiting day in a seven day period so that helped immensely <laughs> i mean we still had to go every other weekend but it helped to limit the amount of time we were spending there um, which was a good thing when you went there mm -hmm. um and i know it was just your life and sometimes when you're in the thick of it you don't think this is strange or unusual but what sort of things did you do? Did you just sit with your dad all day? Or what does a child yep. do at a prison? We sat in a waiting room and it, they had chair, you know, chairs probably similar to what we have in some of our offices um, at the school, but we sat in chairs and there was usually a coffee table and we always took a baggie full of money so we could eat out of the machines. And Fort Leavenworth, we had to leave for lunch, but at the other two prisons, you stayed the whole time. Like you didn't leave and, and, until visiting was over. And so, I mean, I, I ate out of vending machines and ate junk and crap. And I have learned now that that was one of my escapes. <laughs> that when things got uncomfortable and I didn't like where things were going, then I'd take the money and go get a Coke or go get, you know, whatever yeah. I was eating that day. But, um, we for a while at Fort Leavenworth we could take Legos in but a lot of times there were card games or checkers or I have to say I, I um I just took a course a couple years ago called um the domino effect and it talks about at-risk students and how they end up in prison and what they're we got to go into a prison and listen to their stories and how the education impacted them like basically they were trying to help us understand what could it could have helped or what would have been different. Um, that was the first time I had stepped back in a prison and it's a max security prison that I went to. First time I'd stepped in a prison since I was probably in sixth grade. <laughs> I quit going about sixth grade. And it was, it was interesting because they had playrooms. This is a newer prison they just built. They had playrooms for kids. They had, it was very conducive for families which is, it's really sad, but I also, if kids have to go, I'm glad they had something for them because yeah. we sat at a coffee table all day long for hours and hours and hours, so. It's just hard to wrap your mind around, and I'm sure, Reagan, and you probably, this is, this is an area, I have a lot of students who have parents who are in prison, yeah. and this is an area that I guess until right now, and I'm a, that I'm having this aha moment of, of understanding from an adult who lived as a child that way, how that must feel to have to, and does that still go on? I mean, I'm sure it does that, that children are still forced to, um, and maybe some want to, but, but to spend, uh, you know, because they want to see that parent, I'm sure Absolutely. some do, but uh, that still goes on and that, even in the best of circumstances with the playroom or not, that has to be traumatic to know you're leaving them behind. And it's confusing too, because, you know, in that time that was in my situation, not everybody has the same situation as me. I do believe people make mistakes and they do bad things and they, they can change. In my case, that was not going to ever happen. So my dad was innocent and everyone around him was innocent. They'd all been, you know, 
jaded by the system. It was everybody else's fault. And that was the community. And it truly was a community. If we did do something outside of the prison, it was with one of those families. And so it was a very toxic environment because I had a family and a life and a very normal life for five days out of the week. And then every other week or most of the week. And then every other weekend I was in a situation where everything I did was questioned, you know, and, and it was a solid amount of time where it was very easy for him to manipulate. You know, it was very easy. And, and in my situation, he's a terrible person. And he used that to pit my sister and I against each other. And he would say things to one to me like, Oh, you know, your sister, she just, she's just not as beautiful as you. And, you know, you have just always been so smart and beautiful. And then in, and that later that afternoon, he'd tell my sister, Reagan's just Reagan, and you've always been my favorite, you know? And that, so that created issues outside as well, that the one person I had in my life that I tried to protect and that was the only person who'd been through the same thing as me, we hated each other for a long time because that's what we were trained to do. So it's, it was hard, but for me, my... My grandparents, my mom's parents, I mean, they're, I can't even begin because the resiliency and what they did for me, I can never repay because it's amazing and it makes me cry. <laughs> but yeah, they, oh, we just put my grandpa in the nursing home. So it's like, it's like a massive trauma for me right now because he, he is my dad. He's the person who's loved me unconditionally. Yeah. But I can never repay that because I kid you not. My grandpa forgave him the day he found out it was him. Yeah. Wow. So what an example. What, what, yeah. what an example yes, uh, yes. that you had, you had two extremes. I and, did. Yeah. And uh, that is so great that someone came, you know, that, that you ended up with this family that. And that to this had. day, neither grandparent will say a bad word about my dad. They have every right to, but they don't. And they would defend the fact that, like, for a long time, I wanted to change my last name because I did not want to be associated with him. And they kept telling me, but that's who you are. And it's, you don't, you know, like, if that's what you need to do to be okay, then we're, we're fine with that. But it is who you are. It's who your mom was. It, that's who you are. And you don't have to be him. But it's okay to be that. It's okay to be who you are pretty amazing and I know that not every kid has that and so I think it makes our job as counselors or educators even more important in those situations because I had that so school I was the kid at school that you would not have known because I could control school yeah I had control of school and that was the only place in my life I had control over so I was a very hard-working student I very was very perfectionistic and I was a high achieving student and what I had issues with was forming bonds and making friends because I didn't want to let anyone close to me. It was, sure. I didn't want to lose somebody else. And the, the people I should have been able to trust in my life, I couldn't, mm -hmm. I couldn't. And I didn't know, I didn't know who I could trust if it was my mom's family or my dad's family, because I was constantly in the middle, even though one side wasn't participating in that but yeah. I, I had to choose all the time and so I I 
wasn't very nice. <laughs> I didn't want people to get close to me because I didn't want to lose them. And I will tell you, the very first time I made a true friend was in seventh grade. That was the first time. And I've been at my school since third grade. Um, I didn't want anybody close to me. <laughs> and this new girl moved in and she had been a military brat just like I had been previously. And she came up to me and complete opposite of me and very outgoing where I was very reserved, very controlled. Um, I wasn't going to let, and I didn't show emotion because when I showed emotion, that was used against me. I could, I could get angry and I could be mean because that stopped it. But if I cried, they knew they got to me. And so I learned very quick. There was, there was not a situation that that was safe because it was, it was used against me. But my best friend, Molly walked up to me at recess and said, I want to be your friend. Oh. And I looked at her and said, I don't want you <laughs> want to be your friend, which is terrible. But I didn't. I, I did not. And she said, that's okay. You don't have to want to. You're going to be my friend. And I'll tell you what, we were inseparable after that because she was a pain in the rear and she would not give up. And the crazy part is, is, you know, she was the first person I ever learned to love after my mom died and to let in. And she was only here a year. And she moved away. But I learned that we could still, it was, a, it was good for me because I learned yeah. she could be away and I could still keep that. And I could still, you know, like it hurt, but she was there and it was good for me to, to let that go. And then, and then when we were in high school, um, I kid you not, I went to go call her to have her come down because I hadn't talked to her in a while and she was killed in a car accident. Mm. So it was, it was hard, but I learned, I learned how to let people in and I learned how to love. And my husband and I started talking because he didn't want me to go to her visitation by myself. Like it's, it's, it's just interesting because when I actually was able to learn that, and I wish I had somebody in elementary school that could have helped me do that sooner. Um, then I wouldn't have been, I don't think it would have been as hard for me, you know? if somebody had connected with me. I had amazing teachers mm -hmm. who made me feel normal, who didn't treat me any different. Now, I, being in my position now, I worked with those teachers that I had. So I, I know what they did for me, but I never knew then. <laughs> but it, they, they always had, they held, had high standards for me, held me accountable, but I was normal. Like they didn't let that situation get to me. And clearly they knew because they talked to my grandparents, you know, things like that. But I had a very normal life most of the time. Mm -hmm. And so I appreciated that. But if somebody had made that connection with me before or even pushed me a little bit harder to learn to make those connections, I think things could have been a lot different sooner. So my mind, just like <laughs> I know yours, Kim, my mind, I'm just going. I'm just thinking of students yeah. that are Reagan. Yeah. But, they're, but Reagan, God love you, you went through all. I'm, I'm thinking of students who have issues because they have trust issues for adults that have done things in their life. I've, I've Students who have, have uh, murdered, uh, we've had, I mean, uh, a parents who have murdered yeah. uh, a spouse. We've, ha we've had these things and other counselors listening have had these things. Um, in the prison, you know, having parents in prison. So I ha just hearing you as an adult, adult 
helps me mm -hmm. refocus and re, you know, I don't know, um, make rethink about these students in a different way because they're going to grow up mm -hmm. and what we do now what we're putting into them now is going to make such a difference um what made you go into this career of, of counseling i always knew i wanted to help kids because that was one of the most helpless times in my life and i don't deal well with like being vulnerable or not being able to do things myself. Um, and so that I wanted, I wanted to help kids because they are vulnerable in every aspect. I mean, you know, even, even typical kids that don't have trauma or trauma like I had, I should say. But I also know that what people defined as my trauma was the fact that my dad killed my mom. My trauma really wasn't, I mean, it definitely, that impacted me. But my traumas were all the things that were in between that you would have probably never known because I didn't tell you. And it, it was, you know, that I sat in a car for eight hours every other weekend and listened to them say horrible, awful things about my mom because they were, my, my dad's parents were trying to get me on their side. Or, you know, having, I don't know, all kinds of things. Um, my biggest trauma probably would have been that I didn't know I didn't know where I belonged I didn't know who to trust or and if I if I felt like I could trust somebody the minute that something went wrong it was done like I didn't trust you ever again so I knew that I, I wanted to be that person that loved kids unconditionally because that's what I needed I, I I had so many conditions on me and even though my mom's parents did not do that I didn't know because I was put in the middle so much I I didn't know who to trust or how to trust or anything like that. And so I, my biggest thing for trauma is that you won't know what their, their real traumas are because that one incident isn't trauma. Sitting in a classroom and having a male teacher, even as an adult, having a male come at me, my first reaction is, you're not going to get the best of me. Like, <laughs> because that I... I still have that trauma. I'm still triggered by things. And so we don't know as a kid and as, as adults, we don't know what's going to trigger these kids, but we have to love them unconditionally because that's, they need that. And, and they're not going to tell us what their traumas are most of the time because they don't even know. And if, if something triggers them, they just need to know that that is the person I can go to that is going to love me and is, is not going to change that. So we have to be removed from those discipline situations because for me, if you would have disciplined me as a counselor, I was done with you. Like even if I deserved it, like I was done with you because it just has to be a different approach. It has to be. And I think discipline can be done in a way that it can be loving, but we can't be the discipline as a counselor. So I'm getting on a soapbox, but anyway, I am, but that's, I, it is really important when, when I started here, there were kids that didn't want to come in to my office for a few years. And because the counselor before me had been put in a position that she had to be, she was basically like an assistant principal. Yeah. You know, and that's a hard, it's a hard position to be in. And so there were kids that were very, like, I could not get them in this door. <laughs> and so I had to work very hard at that. But I, I want to be the person that I needed 
and I and I tell people all the time, new people to our district, there's a reason I do what I do and where I do it. Because I had an amazing school experience here. Now granted, I had teachers I did not get along with. I had classes that I did not deem were important. Like I was a typical kid in that way. Yeah. But this community, this school, my grandparents, it they all made me who I am. And they helped to create that. And if I didn't have the support of grandparents, it would have been a lot harder, but I still could have done it with those other things in place. And that's why I feel that, you know, school, they're here most of the time. We have these kids more than their parents do. And so we need to be that for them because some of them don't have it anywhere else. And I had an amazing community. I got involved in youth group and, and things like that. And it, it was wonderful. And I know, I mean, I know that's why I, I am the way I am because I had so much support and even when I didn't want it, <laughs> I had a lot of support. You know, I when think, I, oh, go ahead. go ahead. No, when I decided to go into counseling, truthfully, I had a class in high school, like a careers class, and a social worker came in and said, you know, that was something I was interested in. I knew it was either going to be counseling, psychology, or social work. And she asked me if I could ever remove kids from a home. And I'm like, absolutely. <laughs> Being in some of my situations, yes, I could remove kids from their home. And she said, could you ever put them back? Nope. I knew I could never put them back in that home. So I, I knew I would much rather deal with kids after a trauma or after whatever it was that they went through and help them get through it and move forward. But I could never put them back into that situation. So that's when I chose psychology. When I chose counseling, I um, truthfully did not want to be a school counselor because I didn't want to deal with snot-nosed kids telling me, he hit me, she hit me. But if I could have that day, that would be amazing. Like, I would love to have that day where that's all I deal with. Yes. <laughs> um, but for me, I did not choose community counseling because in a lot of aspects, when you are a community counselor, when people get better, you don't see them. And I needed to see the good with the bad. And I get that in school counseling. You know, I can have a kid that's upset or mad at me or has something going on, but then I've got another one that hugs me every time they come down the hallway. So, and I get to see them. And I'm a K-12 building, so I get to see them grow and see what they become. And, and I needed that. I have to tell you, I, I didn't, we didn't have a school counselor in the elementary until I was like in fifth grade. And at that point, my grandparents, they put me in counseling. So I was seeing a, a play therapist um, outside of school, which I hated. So if I could tell a parent or an educator anything, um, take them, even if they're kicking and screaming, because they need it. <laughs> uh, I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And I finally convinced my grandparents not to go. And I told them that was the worst thing you could have done was given to me on that thing because I needed it. But I did. When I took this job here, I called my counselor, my um, play therapist, and I said, Ann, I just want you to know that this is Reagan. And um, she knew who I was, so you know it was bad. <laughs> she remembered me. And, uh, and I said, I want you to know that I'm a school counselor and you were a big part of that. And she got really quiet. And she said, I just fell out of my chair because I never in a million years would have guessed that I had an impact on you. Wow. ever like that would have never crossed my mind and that's why we love kids unconditionally because yeah. 
at some point, we don't get to decide when it works for them. We don't, we don't go home with them every night. So at some point when they are ready, and it, it may be at 30 years old, I don't know, when they're ready, they can look back and say, and remember what we taught them and what we showed them and that we loved them and we believed in them. And I feel that that is the most important part of my job every day is to love them unconditionally, hold them accountable, push them, but, but always be there. That just makes me want to cry that what you just said in a nutshell should be the heartbeat of why we do what we do. And, and yes. to be reminded of that, um, it's why we do what we do. And that is just so well said, Reagan. Um, so, Reagan, you shared a story with Laura and I. Uh, and it really resonated with me, and I've thought about it since you shared this with me. But would you tell the story about being in a college class and, and what someone said that was upsetting to you? Sure. So I was in my internship, and we had a situation where I don't an advisor had I don't know if they were on maternity leave I can't remember, but we had to combine groups, and it's a hard time to do that because you become very close with the five or six people that you are with. Um, so it was awkward. But there was um, another student who was actually in a school. She was a teacher, but going through her counseling um, internship. And she had a student who her father had, um, had murdered some people in the, in the community that they lived in. And this student, I do not know her. I don't know anything else about her, but what she shared. Um, but she was talking about what a mess she was and that she's tried to help her and she just can't help her. And so she just, she was never going to amount to anything. I mean, look what her father did. And I could have crawled over the table and probably strangled her. I was so mad because if somebody had felt that way about me, if any of my teachers or anybody had said that about me, I wouldn't be where I am. And so I was, I was so mad I left, which when I get quiet and I can't say something, it's bad. Like it's really bad because I can be really sharp. And so I left because we as counselors, that is the last thing we should do. We should never give up on a kid. We're not going to save them all. And I tell people all the time, I'm not made for every kid. I'm not. And if, that, and if I'm not the person that they come to or feel safe with, I'm okay with that because I'm not made for every kid. It's not a one size fits all. And I tell them that when I, when I send them out, they like, I refer them to counselors. This is somebody that I've had kids work with and they're great, but it's not a one size fits all. So give it a few tries. And if not, then we'll find somebody else. But for a counselor to, to say that somebody wasn't ever going to amount to anything and they weren't worth their time, it, it floored me and I had a discussion with my advisor about it because you know she said well you know Reagan not everybody not everybody is you you had amazing supports and not every kid is going to be you and she's right not every kid is going to have the same support as me but we are not the ones to decide that and that's all and the more reason why that child needs a cheerleader exactly and that's and and she, again, she's right. Not every kid is going to be that. And I think she was worried I was taking it personally, which I was, but it was for the kid. Right. You know, because like, I'm on the other side of that. I was the kid that it, the hardest thing I've ever dealt with, truthfully, 
was when I, the, the one and only time that I was judged based off of what my father did. Because I'm not my father, and I didn't ask to be in this situation. I didn't do this. I didn't choose it. But I had somebody one time, and I was an adult, but one time in my life where a situation came up and I was judged by what my father did. And it wasn't, it was, it was a horrible, horrible feeling and a horrible situation. And that's how that kid had to feel. I mean, I, I pray that she did not say that to the kid and I don't think she would have, but to But it was her mentality. It was her, yeah. it was her, uh, her mindset. And, and I, I'm afraid as educators, sometimes we do, uh, tend to we don't we don't know we don't know the outcome of, of any any child or student that we deal with and to like laura says we need to be their cheerleaders we need yeah. to pull out the best that we can while we have on this the time that we have we need to make that important and pull out the best that we have and you know what she may have ended up in a terrible situation i don't know but at some point in her life, she needs to look back and say there was one person that believed in me. And I truly believe as counselors, we, we need to be that person. Even if we truly don't believe it ourselves, because <laughs> like my counselor didn't believe that she ever made an impact on me. And, it, and she did. She, I hated her for it. I really did because I would go and I would not speak to her, but she knew my situation. And I hated that about her because she was getting things out of me that I did not want anyone to know. And, but it, it, it helped me when I was ready. Wow. Uh, it makes it, it I, you know, just the, the, the importance, I think that you're reminding of us as school counselors of the importance of every lesson, every, everything that every, everything that we're trying to, impart on these students that you're you know that it can come back that can come back around and, and be meaningful may not be right then right well it's, it making, it's reminding me to do more than just a checklist you know we do these lessons because we have to meet our standards or we have to meet the required laws but every class is an opportunity or every small group everything is an opportunity to encounter a student and make a connection even when we don't realize we're doing it. I mean, like you said, your counselor never realized she was making an impact. No. But something stuck. It and did. so we don't need to take Despite my best efforts. It did. Yeah. <laughs> no. We just and, don't need to take it for granted that, right. you know, we get these opportunities with these students. And, and I know I get caught up in, okay, I've got to do this and check it off my list. Check it. But you're inspiring me to do more than just that, you know. It's the connection beyond there. And and truthfully, that's what it is. With I was blessed with teachers. I mean, I had teachers in elementary who, I, they naturally did that, you know. But as I got in middle school, there was one that I connected with, and it was through writing. That was my, that's how I expressed things. And then um, in high school, I had an English teacher and a science teacher, a biology teacher, both men, oddly enough, who um, they, I mean, they really were people that they helped me, mm -hmm. you know, and it had truly had nothing to do with school because they were hard teachers and they pushed me hard and had high expectations, but they connected with me outside of school. 
one had my mom as a as an, a student and you know like that was one way he made a connection with me and I had written something in English class and he saw it in my biology class and he was like what's this and he told me later on that as when I was an adult he's like I read that and I bawled like wow. I bawled and bawled he said I didn't let you see that at the time but I I cried and he has never I mean you know they they connect with me they help me and it had nothing to do with school and yeah. that that's what so if it's not us we have you know have so many other opportunities whether it's somebody in the community or you know an associate at the school a para a parent volunteer somebody to connect because i am not for every kid but yeah. i can find someone for that kid and well, and i think that that's it's important. So good uh, that that's an aha moment yeah we need to realize and, and i think sometimes we feel like we have failed if we are not the person but we need to be okay as school counselors that it may not be us it might be yeah. that english teacher or that math teacher or that the janitor or it may be it may not be us that they they go to and and you know as a young counselor i remember taking that personally I, like I they too yeah but and as I've been there i mean i was that kid <laughs> i have too yeah but as you mature you realize yeah. that if they can get help it doesn't matter who is able to give that help. I had a kid two years ago, and I worked for two years prior to that to build a relationship with this child, and I couldn't. And that was hard for me. <laughs> it was hard. I tried every trick, and it was hard. And I still haven't been able to, I mean, honestly. And this child had a teacher, and the teacher connected. And, you know, they kept saying, are, are, do you want me to send them to you? I said, no. No, I want you to talk to them. If you get uncomfortable, then you absolutely. But so I would provide things for that teacher and that teacher connected with that kid. And thankfully, they, that kid connected with the next year's teacher. I mean, it, it, he still has not connected with me. And that's okay because I am facilitating the connection with the teachers. That's so that was good. Hard. That is so good. That is, that is just speaks to your... Uh, level of maturity as a human and 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 uh, that you're there for the right reasons it's, it's not about you it's about the students uh, I know you had shared that you know you still uh, we deal with what we have gone through as children and we still deal with what we all go through as children you uh, have been through more than your share and more than most so you shared with us that you have an ACES tell us about that your ACES my ACEs score. So when I took the ACEs quiz probably a couple of years ago, um, I was shocked. My score is an 8 out of 10. My sister, I asked her to take it, and hers is a 7 out of 10. We've been from, you know, 0 to 18, we've been through the same thing. She was the only person that was there with me through it all. But we had very different experiences. And that is something, too, that, you know, I... It was hard for me to admit that. I, I, I'm still working on admitting vulnerability. <laughs> I don't like that very well, but it has strengthened me a lot because uh, truthfully, uh, probably five years ago was the first time I really realized that I was a victim of domestic abuse. It never crossed my mind. It ne like I was the victim of like, the ultimate domestic abuse. Like he murdered my mother. It never, I, it never occurred to me. You know, but that is one thing that with trauma or with any situation, 
my sister and I are very different people. We have been through so many of the same things. She was the person that was beside me through it all until I quit going and then she was in it by herself. But we have very different experiences and it has led us down very different paths. We are in a, a great place now. Like she is somebody that I truly, I couldn't live without. Um, it's been hard, <laughs> but what worked for me didn't work for her. We had the same traumas. We had the same experiences. She was in counseling far longer than I was. And I shouldn't say it didn't work, but it didn't have the same impact. You know, it, 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 she struggled with the things that I kind of dealt with. She struggled with as an adult. And so it's, there isn't a right or wrong way. And the traumas that kids face, it doesn't go away. I, I'm still triggered today. There's things that trigger me, you know, all through high school, middle school and high school, when I no longer wanted to visit my dad, the one thing that I got to do, and this is a little bit of a soapbox, but I think it's important for people to know because if you've not been in a situation, you don't know. The system is not designed for victims. When you are a victim, you're always a victim because, you know, when I quit going to the prison to visit my dad, I then was in a position that he could parole. So he got, he didn't get life. I mean, he's, he's out. My dad is out of prison. And that was a big trauma for me as an adult. Wow. But when he, when he was up for parole, which happened to be every Christmas. So my mom's favorite holiday. So a holiday where you miss, you know, like people think when you lose somebody, the holidays, things like that, they are hard. But the hardest part for me was every Christmas, I got to look forward to writing a letter to a parole board on saying why I didn't think my dad should get out of prison. Now, when I wrote that letter, you also cannot be nasty or vindictive or mean um, because they'll throw it away and they won't read it. So I'm a victim. I did not choose this. He did this. And I had to write a letter to keep him in prison. I had to be careful how I wrote that letter so it would be read. But on top of that, I also had to be very, very careful what I wrote because he could read it. What we were encouraged to write about was all the things that my mom missed because of his actions. So then I got to relive the trauma every year of not only experiencing those things that she wasn't there for, but I got to write about them to try to keep him in prison. Um, that was hard. My goodness. <laughs> That was really hard. And then when he was released from prison, he was sentenced to 40 years in prison and he paroled, well, he didn't parole. He got clemencies. He walked away, no parole or anything, 20 years, 20 years. I was the same age, I was 27, the same age my mom was when he killed her, when he was released from prison and I had my baby girl. So I was a mom on top of that a new mom, and then he was released from prison. So that, that was very traumatic, and it was hard to adjust because I didn't know. Was he going to try to come around? Was he, you know, and when I quit talking to him and he couldn't manipulate me anymore, he was done. He didn't communicate with me. And I will tell you, I wrote a letter in college to him, and I let him know that I had forgiven him for what he did to my mother, and I had forgiven him for what he did to my sister and I but that in no way meant that he was ever welcomed in my life. That he took something from me that could never be replaced, 
but that I had replaced him. I had my grandpas, I had my uncles, I had my husband, um, my boyfriend at the time, but my husband and so many people that there was no room for him in my life. And I wanted him to know that because I needed to set that boundary <laughs> very strongly. Yeah. And so he, he has not contacted me or communicated with me because even as a kid sitting in the prison, he would tell me, you're just like your mother. You know how to push my buttons. And if you knew what was good for you, you would stop. So I kept pushing because that is my personality. Um, so he knows that I'm not going to quit and I'm not going to give up. My sister, on the other hand, she struggled with that because she was a lot. She was younger than me and she lived on breathed off of what he said. So her experiences were very, very different, and she struggled for a long time. And unfortunately, it took it went to a point where she was communicating with him, and I couldn't have anything to do with her for a while because I was at a place where, you know, like I I have family and I had things like that, and more to worry about than just me. And so, it it took a lot to get her to that point too. And it, it was it it's been a lot, and that trauma doesn't go away just because we don't show it. I mean, even as an adult, but when he did get out of prison as a victim, I was notified, which I appreciated, but then it's on me. If I want to get a restraining order, I have to file for a restraining order, which gives him my address, my contact information. And it, it's a piece of paper in the end, you know, I mean, it's, it's a good thing. Don't get me wrong. And I think if that's what people need to do, they need to do, but it's a piece of paper and I have to renew it every year. Yeah. I have to justify why he shouldn't come. No, I mean, he should not be able to come near me. Yeah. But, it, you know, like it's it's one of those things that it it keeps putting you back in that position of being a victim. And, and it breaks my heart. I've had situations where women have, parents, moms have come in here and shared things that were going on in their home. And I just looked at them and I told, I told them, thank you. <laughs> they looked at me like I was crazy. But I said, you don't understand. You were able to get out of a situation that my mom couldn't. Mm. And you are so strong for that. And if I can do anything to help you, you know, let me know because what you did for your kids is you're here and you're alive and you can take care of them. That's you're so not good. setting them up to be vulnerable, you know? I'm thinking about your situation and your story. And I'm thinking about our students and our teachers. And I, a soapbox I get on is, so what if they don't have their homework tonight? They survived the night. And so often that's their situation and, and we don't realize it. We get so focused on, well, they didn't have their homework. And, you know, you just said um, the parents come in and tell you what they've survived. What would you say to the counselor that may be in this situation that's surrounded by teachers that understandably have to focus on academics? Mm -hmm. How would you say we need to strike a balance between the social, emotional, the academic, home life, all that? I've had that battle. <laughs> Sometimes I have maybe been a little more abrupt than what I probably should have been because that's my, it's a hot button for me. Yeah. I mean, I, I was the kid that always had their homework done because I could control that, you know, but I do see that. And I, a lot of times I will go to the teacher and I will, I have just said, I don't care what it takes, but you're not going to worry about this today. If they have, if they, if you want to send them down with me, if it's so important you send them with me at lunchtime, they can have a working lunch. I don't care. But I, 
you're not going to touch this today because there have been things that have gone on that we're not going to, we're not going there. Yeah. And again, sometimes I'm a little abrupt. I have a great, I have a great team, but I have had people in the past that I've just, I've had to lay it off there. And I will, I've told them, I will fight for the kid every time. Yeah. I will. And, and I've had kids in here crying and upset because I didn't get my homework done. And I advocate for that because we don't know if they were right. in the car for seven hours yes. going to visit a parent in prison. I mean, I can't get that out of my head that you spent your weekend on the road driving seven or eight hours. I mean, oh my goodness. To sit then to sit. For, for a day and a half in a prison. So we don't, we can't even imagine what a lot of our kids are. And, and I think you're helping remind us to put ourselves back in those shoes. And also to remind us that we are advocates. Yeah. And yes, you are spunky, Reagan. I can tell that. <laughs> I am. But I'm passionate about that. I was that. I, I, it is. It's. And, you know, I just, I think you're going to be used for a long time as an advocate. I think you have a voice. And I think that your story needs to be out there because we need to be hearing it as educators. And, uh, you know, I, I it, it's, it's powerful. You have a lot of power in your story and you don't stop advocating and, and you're encouraging us to advocate because when it comes down yeah. to it we need to be able to stand toe to toe against an adult and say i'm here for the kid and this is you know this is what's best for this child and sometimes we have to be willing to do that the biggest thing for me is as educators or parent i mean anything i i hate it when kids are in the middle because i lived that and I, it happens, and I know it, it happens so often. And sometimes, truly, people don't even know it, honestly, that they are putting a kid in that position. I lost my train of thought. But the whole, I hate when I do that. The whole thing is, is that, <laughs> I always say I was raised by two old people. That's what I always tell my grandparents. They aged me. But no, but honestly, the thing that, like, like I said before, my grandparents always encouraged me to have a relationship with my dad. I cannot imagine being a parent now what that had to have been like for them. I can't because when we came home and said things that were really hurtful and nasty to them, it had to have been awful because they're mourning their child, they're raising their grandchildren, and then they have this on top of it. They didn't ask for that. They don't deserve that. But they would always say, Reagan, it's okay to love him. He's your dad. He's your dad. And I want teachers, I want parents, I want anybody that's dealing with a kid to know that because I don't care what a parent has done. It's their, that's their parent. Yeah. It's their parent. And truthfully, my grandparents always said, I, I just wish if I could have changed anything, it would have been that we could have done this together. We should have been able to work together for you girls and to do this together. Yeah. And that's the truth. I mean, I have, I've had conversations with parents where I've said, you just shut your mouth and leave them alone because these you're putting the kid in a position they'll figure it out they will figure it out that you are somebody they can trust but when you when you say things like that about their parent their other dad their dad I don't, I don't care who it is that's their parent and then you're putting them in a position where they feel like they're not important because they're part of him or they're part of her or whatever wow. the situation is so as a, a teacher or a counselor or an advocate for a kid we shouldn't focus only on the trauma because if we talk, it's not that we shouldn't talk about those things, but if that's the only focus, like, oh, poor Reagan, look what happened to her. That defines me. 
and I, I will, I refuse to be defined by my past and by that situation. What I experienced certainly has molded me into who I am, but it does not define me. So we cannot allow these things to define these kids. You know, we really, we can't, we've got to show them that they're not their dad. They're not their, whatever it is in their life. They're not that person and they can be more. And I've had some candid conversations with kids that have, I struggle working with kids and people in general that are, they victimize themselves. They're always the victim because I am a survivor and I don't deal, I don't deal with, my sister was very much that way for a long time. And I'm like, nope, we're going to pull our boots on. We're going to keep going because that's what you do. I'm a survivor in that sense. And so it's hard for me to work with those kids that are poor me, whatever. I have to take a step back and take a breath a lot of times, but I've had conversations with them that it's like, you know what? My dad is in prison too. I've had that happen. And at some point you have to decide that you're not like them and you've got to move forward and you've got to make decisions. If you need help with that, I'm here. But until then, I don't know what else I can do. What more, what can I do to help you? I've had to have those conversations. So, and, and some of them have gone really well and some of them are like, okay, like out they go. <laughs> but then yeah. I try to facilitate that conversation or that, that relationship somewhere else because it's not here. Yeah, I don't know. Well, so good. So good. Something I can't get away from. It's and Kim always says, "Don't miss a blessing." And I think this is one of these thoughts that I just can't. I can't stop thinking about it. And it was something you said um, when your friend Molly came up oh, to yeah. you at the playground, and <laughs> you said she was an army brat just like I was. It struck me how your identity changed, like. Mm -hmm. You were an army brat. You said, I, just like I was. And, you know, with that comes um, stereotypical things, but also, you know, maybe some, um, uh, what's the word, like clout, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Like, you know, it's a prestigious thing, you know, when your, your parent is in the military and, you know, they're looked at as a hero and things like that. Yeah. And then that shifted and that wasn't that wasn't who you were anymore mm -hmm. and I just can't imagine what that must have been like to have lost your identity and have to regain you know like and you said something else later like you didn't know where you belonged and I'm just trying to wrap my head around that what that <laughs> that's true been. yeah I so I lived on an Air Force base um, until after my mom died and then um, we moved to Iowa and I went from a military base where I mean, there were, I mean, people come and go all the time. So making connections was not an easy thing. And I truly think that's part of the reason why my mom struggled too, is because they're there one day and gone the next. You don't have a consistent person and, and relationships are a lot different you know, on a military base because they are here and gone and, and especially for kids. Um, and then I moved to a small town. I graduated with 50 people. Like that was my class. I knew everything about them. I knew their pets. I knew their, their cousins and everything. And that was a, it was a big change because I came here in third grade and uh, I had gone to another school prior to that in Iowa. But when I came here in third grade, I, I felt a bit like an outsider because they were, they'd all gone to preschool and kindergarten together. So even at third grade, it was hard to, one, I was in a new place, a new home 
my whole family is here, like truthfully. I mean, I'm very blessed. Um, so I had cousins here and things like that. And my cousins grew up like my siblings. I mean, they, we, we are very close and always were. And so I, I had a lot of good things, but it was hard and I didn't see myself as fitting in. And that's one thing I tell kids when they come here. I came here in third grade too. I know what that's like, you know, because it's scary and it's hard and small towns can be hard to make connections because their parents had connections before they were born, you know, like it's yeah. just one of those things. And so it, it, it is hard. And some days I still feel like I'm finding my place. <laughs> I don't know where I belong at times, but I do know that my community, my home, and it, it may not be this way forever, but they helped to make me who I am. And this is my way of giving back because wow. we do have kids that, that need that, that come here and they don't, they don't belong or they don't have a place or they feel like they don't belong. And so I want to be that person for them because I have had a variety of experiences. I, I don't, I don't tell kids I know what they're going through because their situation is different than mine. But I've been through a divorce situation where I went between parents. I've been through a custody battle. I've had amazing grandparents and amazing supportive family and I've had the worst of the worst. I had a, a parent in prison. I you know like it I've I've had a lot of those experiences that kids come to see me for or that they've, yeah. they've had, you know, and so I don't know what they're going through, but I do tell them we can get through this. I did. You can. I'll be here to help you if whatever it is. And you know, and being a K twelve building, what really shakes me up is when the high schoolers come down to me because they can't find the other counselor, oh, and that's yeah. like I'm like whoa. I'm and I tell them I'm sorry if I talk to you like an elementary kid. I'm used to working with elementary kids, but I've made connections there. And yeah. my co counselor and I, we have an understanding that. If I connect with a kid that's hers, that kid's mine. And yeah. if she connects with a kid that, that's mine, then then that's hers. I mean, we we truly believe that we try to connect with as many kids as we possibly can. And I we could care less if it, they're on they see her every day or they see me every day. So uh, I've been very lucky <laughs> to have such an amazing group around me. Truthfully, Reagan, thank you so. I I. I I can't thank you enough for sharing. I, know. I know that it has to be you're helping others and you want to help others, but you know, it has to be hard it, to relive some of this, but we appreciate it. And I, I will say that we're only, I know that we're only hearing a part of yes. everything. <laughs> I, I, I know that there's like, like you said, the domino, it's not going to be just one thing. It's going to be a lot of other things that you have gone through and thank you for sharing some of those things and for being the fabulous counselor that you are. Thank and you. <laughs> uh, we're so glad that we've got to know you. And I hope that we do some things together in the future. And uh, I can see her doing some great advocate work, can't you? For oh, it, absolutely. On a, on a uh, legislative or yes. national level. She's love so to. Stuff. I would love to. Reagan, I'll <laughs> vote for you for whatever oh, you Beautiful. <laughs> I don't know. No, no. I um, If there's anything that anybody takes away from this, though, is we do need to advocate for kids and the hardest kids. I mean, we know that as counselors. We deal with it a lot, but it's hard to do when we're in the middle of it. And we've got to 
just give them grace and love because we don't know what they're going through. And we need to believe that they can do great things. We do. And we need to help them believe they can do great things because I am where I am because people believed in me and they pushed me. So that is our job. (laughs) That's our challenge. So I appreciate it. I don't know if I want to quit my job. I don't know if I want to quit my job or if I want to work harder. I, I just, it's I don't like know. I'm not worthy to. Right. No. Oh, I have so many things I need to improve in. And that is where you two have come in and, and the course that you provide because you have set me on fire again in ways that maybe I wasn't as focused on because I did focus on a lot of these things. And I, I will, but it's been good for me to to tell people what I'm doing. And you've taught me that, that I need to, I need to be advocating for myself and what I am doing for kids because so much of what we do is confidential outside of classrooms that I don't, I don't advocate for that because it's not my nature. (laughs) It's not. And it's hard to do. So that is something major that I have changed so that people understand how important the work is that we do. Oh, Thank you. I thank you for I that. love her. I love her. I love you so much. This episode and others are available on our Counselor Accents YouTube page. Thank you so much to everyone who has been listening to our podcast and for rating it.